Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Well, welcome back to church, everyone, and welcome back to Christmas. Are you all excited for Christmas? Yeah, okay. A couple people. Music is playing everywhere, right? Hot drinks are here. Who's got all their decorations done already? All right. Okay, all right. Who, who already has their entire Christmas list and everything already done? Where's my organized people at? Who's one of those people who waits until like December 22nd to even leave the house and think about it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Now that we all know who each other are, we can judge each other for Christmas. It's great. Well, the season that leads us up to Christmas Day is traditionally known as the Advent season. It's a season of waiting that has four themes, hope, peace, love, and joy. And one of the things we like to do as a church is just take a moment each and every service leading up to Christmas and embrace some of those older traditions of our faith that have so much meaning, so much beauty in them as we reflect on these themes and we light the Advent candles together. The first theme is the theme of hope. And if you've been following along, we have guides at the Connect Center if you want to read through Scripture along with these themes. The first theme of hope has been going uh, for about a week now. The next theme starts next, uh, tomorrow. And this idea of hope is so deep and so important at Christmas time, isn't it? But there's an element of hope which is about expectation. What are you hoping in? What are you looking forward to? And it carries a natural implication of something that we don't love, if we're honest, as human beings, which is waiting. Waiting. You know, we, anybody here like to wait? I was having a conversation with somebody uh, just this morning talking about, you know what, there's something coming in the spring, but right now it's a little bit dicey. We have to wait for the arrival. Nobody likes to wait, do we? But the reality that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, if something is truly worth putting all of our hope in, if something is truly worth are all of our expectations being cast upon it, then, you know, we should be able to wait for that, right? I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 9, and then I want to share a poem with you before we light the candle. Traditionally, the first candle of Advent is called the prophet's candle, and I want us to hear from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what our hope is, amen? amen. The arrival of the Savior. And I, wanna, I wanna read you this, this poem that a friend of mine, a missionary friend of mine wrote as we talk about waiting, waiting on God to do all that he's promised, putting all of our hope on him again this Christmas season. It says this, waiting, silence, pondering, these are the treasures of Christmas. The people waiting for the coming Messiah Mary waiting for God to give word to her betrothed, waiting nine months for a babe to be born, waiting for his identity to be revealed to the world. Waiting is painful, 
often uncomfortable. It feels inactive and powerless. If we could, we would do it another way without the waiting. And yet, perhaps waiting is an act of worship. Perhaps silence is an act of submission. Perhaps in the pondering, we learn to trust. Joseph waited in prison to be rescued. David waited for God to make him king. Esther waited for the right moment to petition the king. Zechariah and Elizabeth waited for God to give them a child. Mary waited for God to speak to Joseph. God waited for Bethlehem for a son to be born. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. This Christmas season, as children anticipate and wait for presents under the tree, as you light the Advent candles and mark the days, as you stare in wonder at twinkling lights, know that your waiting is not in vain, for God is active in the waiting, preparing the heart of a king, preparing the people for a leader, making the way for a great rescue, healing the heart of a mother. There is purpose in the waiting. Wait for it. Look for it. It will come. Let's pray together, and we're going to light the hope candle this morning. Jesus, thank you that we can cast all of our hopes on you. And whether we feel like we're in a season of we've been waiting forever, whether we feel like those people walking in great darkness in our world, we know that a light has come, that a light has dawned, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. We celebrate that you are the hope of the world this Christmas. And we thank you that when we wait on you and we look for you and we're patient for you to move, you are always active. Even when we can't see it, you're active making a way. You are forever faithful and true. And all of our hope is in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's light the first candle of Advent here. And we even got a working lighter this time. This is fantastic. We're off and running in Christmas season here. Amen. Well, I want to get into a series. We're going to launch it today for the Christmas season. And we're simply calling it the stories of Christmas. The stories of Christmas. We want to talk a little bit throughout this Christmas season about the power of stories in our lives. And my prayer for us is very simple. May God draw our hearts once again to the greatest story ever told. Amen? The story of true hope that Christmas is all about. May God just lead us again back into discovering what he's been up to from the beginning of time, which finds its culmination in Christ's arrival. Amen? So does anybody have any favorite Christmas stories here? Maybe Christmas movies, books? Come on, call them out. What are your favorite Christmas stories? It's a Wonderful Life. That's very nice. That's beautiful. The Nutcracker, Scrooge, Elf. I was waiting for it. Whoever is the, like, the marketing person behind Die Hard deserves like, a Pulitzer Prize or something like that. Because you know, a couple decades later, now it's a Christmas movie all of a sudden. It was always a Christmas movie, but it wasn't really a Christmas movie. Die Hard. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what's amazing about Christmas stories? What I love about Christmas stories? Quite simply, Christmas stories are happy stories, aren't they? Think about it. Amongst all the kinds of stories we tell ourselves, they are extremely likely to be full of hope, full of joy, goodness. You, just, you don't encounter very many Christmas stories where everything falls apart in the end, do you? You don't have that many doom and gloom Christmas stories like the writer of Ecclesiastes got a hold of it or something like that, right? 
Christmas stories are so happy. They're so joyful. They have those warm conclusions to the stories. They fill us with joy. They're a bright light in the world that's just, our world is looking for hope anywhere. Amen? You know, I love stories like this. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Lara and I got to go and, and take Larry and Lisa with us. We got to go and, and see a concert. And, and as we were on the journey, we were talking about us reading books and the stories we like. And Lara kind of threw me under the bus. And she told her parents, she's like, yeah, Ryan doesn't want to read a story unless it has a happy ending. I'm like, hey, hang on a minute. I'm not like a sap over here. Okay, so maybe I'm a bit of a romantic, but is that a problem? Like, I like it when a story comes to a good conclusion. I enjoy it when the hero is vindicated and, and all is right in the world. The things end and you're like, oh, that's great. I don't like ending a story and then like not being able to sleep that night. Okay? So I love Christmas stories. I love being a bit of a, a romantic and softening in my old age. As we come back to the story of Christmas, how many of you guys are grateful that there is no more hopeful story than the story of Christmas? Amen? And that it's a true story that we can just get lost in. I'm so grateful as well, as we think about it, I'm so grateful that God actually, he gave us a story in the first place. It's not just a list of facts and figures He didn't write it as a point-counterpoint argument for us. He gave us a story. And I'm thankful for that. The most fundamental truth, the most important thing that we'll ever base our lives upon was handed down to us as a story. Why is that? Well, maybe, just maybe it's because you and I were made for stories. Do you know that? You and I, we were made for stories. Stories, they do something to our hearts, am I right? You know, more, more than just a list of rights and wrongs or rules and regulations, a story captures us. They speak deeper than the rational levels of our brain. They speak to our souls. They make deposits and withdraws deep within us. One writer says it like this. We don't just hear stories. We live into them. We live into stories. We get swept up into narratives, carried away at a gut level. That's what stories do to us. And I think God knows that. You know, he's the master storyteller. Amen? What did Jesus do when he came on the scene? He told stories everywhere he went. Because he knows the way to our hearts. And our hearts are what he's interested in. Am I right? We get swept up into these narratives. And sometimes in 2022, people get swept up into all kinds of crazy stories. Am I right? Like, you look at some of the stories people are living into in our world today. You're like, how did that, where did that start? Like, where did you start there? So God help us, we need the right stories at Christmas time. There are so many stories that get offered to us every day. All around us, there are narratives every single day, and all of them invite us to live into them as well. We live in a time that's been referred to as the story wars. Have you heard that? Story wars, because everybody's got a story, and quite a lot of them are warring with each other. Because every movement... Every cause, every official, every brand of clothing, every company, and increasingly every person you meet has a story they're telling, a story that they're selling. And we tend, as human beings, to gravitate towards the stories which sound best to us. Can we be honest in church today? Like, that's how we're wired. The story that sounds the best for me, that's a story I want to hear more about, right? But as believers in this world, in this climate of so many narratives around us all the time, We need to first remember something about ourselves, that our hearts 
drawn to these things as they are, are notoriously fickle. Our desires are notoriously fickle. What do I mean? Well, Jeremiah said it like this. The heart is hopelessly wicked and unknowable. Who can know it? David chimes in. God, search me and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Help me to realize things going on in my head that I don't even know are there. The Bible tells us our hearts are fickle. We don't even realize sometimes that our hearts are getting pulled in a million directions by a million stories all around us. The Bible teaches us our hearts get drawn to other stories easily. And it keeps calling us back to the story as God is telling it. In the midst of the story wars, with what Paul refers to as hollow and deceptive philosophies, demanding our attention, pulling our hearts aside everywhere, I've learned that there's an important question for, to, for us to ask as Christians. It's simply this. According to whom? English teachers, did I get that one right on the whom who thing? All right, good. According to whom? According to whom? I've learned it's important for us to discern the heart and the mind behind the stories we hear and get drawn to. Who's telling that story? And I want to give you an example from within the Christian faith. The prosperity gospel. How many here have heard of the prosperity gospel, okay? Name it and claim it. You've heard of that? Like, if you just believe God's going to give you a Ferrari? Come on now. That would be a great story. That's a story I like, right? I like Ferraris. God wants to withhold no good thing. That's what I heard. I'm going to claim that one. This is the prosperity gospel, okay? It's a potent craze in some Christian circles. It obviously has a lot of problems with it. But here's the thing. When you read the word, when you encounter the unblushing promises of God in Scripture, as C.S. Lewis calls them, I believe with all my heart that God's plans for you are good. I believe with all my heart that God's intention is to see you prosper, that he is the provider that you need. The Bible speaks to us about this. You can't ignore what the Bible says. The question is not, does God want you to prosper? Whether or not he wants you to succeed. The question is simply this, whose definition of prosperity is the right one? Prosperity according to whom? You following me this morning? God's definitions are sometimes a little bit different than my definition. My heart is notoriously fickle. I'm drawn to things that just sound nice and comfortable to me. Sometimes he sees things differently. He sees our future differently than us. But guess what? He's the only one that can see from everlasting to everlasting. His opinion is the only opinion that counts at the end of the day. And it's his desires for us that are truly good. It's his story that we need to align with. Especially in our age, when people even want to hijack the Bible to say what they want it to say, right? We need to make sure that we're aligning our lives according to his version of the story, not the other way around. Because we're story people. So here's a question. Who is telling the stories that you and I are living into? The big narratives of our lives, the things that are drawing our attention, our gaze, that we're aligning our hearts with and getting swept up into... Who's telling those stories? You know, we look to the stories of our time and the stories of our culture so many times for that fulfillment, that worth, that peace in our lives. This Christmas season, people are going to turn aside to all kinds of different crazy stories. I want to say, we need to challenge who's telling the story, and then we need to decide, let's stick to the true. Amen? 
Yes, there is one true story. One true story above all stories. And that's the story we celebrate at Christmas time. The fulfillment, the payoff of the whole biblical worldview happens with a baby in a manger. A few weeks back, we wrapped up our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we wrapped it up by looking at chapter 15 and what I referred to as the gospel of Paul. This is where Paul kind of breaks down, you know, this is what I've passed on to you. This is what you need to hold on to. This is the story. And Paul repeats a phrase in that passage. You might have come across it. He says this over and over again, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. He says, Christ died for you. I pass this on to you. Christ died for you according to the scriptures. Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He almost compulsively adds that line in over and over again, according to the scriptures. What's Paul talking about? See, for him, the scriptures didn't mean the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Guess what? They weren't there. They meant the whole of the Hebrew Bible, which he had dedicated his life to and was steeped in the story that God had been telling from Genesis forward. Paul is saying that everything... Everything about what Jesus came to do was the fulfillment of a grand story that God has always been telling. That he is the author of the story we need to align our hearts with. Paul's saying, listen, I'm passing this back on to you and telling you there is a bigger story and that's what you need to align your life with. You need to live your life according to his story. And whether or not they say it explicitly like Paul, every gospel writer Roots the story of Jesus in the greater story of God on a mission to reconcile humanity to himself. Every single one of them, they relate it back to the beginning, from the beginning. Scott McKnight points out, Matthew does this with a very cleverly arranged genealogy. Luke incorporates the incredible songs of Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah that are just loaded with scriptures, the story as it's been. He says this, they read as if someone spent years soaking in the scriptures and all of a sudden burst out in a set of poetic songs that bring the whole of Israel's story to its completion. John's whole gospel, McKnight continues, is ordered around the festival traditions uh, that God passed on to his people, subtly reiterating to a Jewish audience that Jesus fulfills everything that scripture teaches us. The story is finding its climax in him. For believers in the New Testament, their entire lives were oriented around the story of God. Everything that they did, they saw themselves as continuing this incredible narrative of God on a mission to reconcile the world world to himself. And Jesus taught them to see his every action, his every teaching, his every moment, every story he told or lived as part of the greater narrative according to the scriptures. This is life according to scriptures. This is life ordered by God's story. And we need to make sure with all the narratives floating around us every single day that we're living our lives according to the scriptures. So this Christmas, I just simply want to ask us and start with the question, what are the dominant stories in your life? What are the dominant narratives that you're drawn to in your heart to embrace, to tune into? Do you attach your peace and your joy this Christmas season to those things, where's your identity found? And that brings us to some very special characters in Luke's version of the Christmas story. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, we're going to get into the Christmas story for just a minute. Luke chapter 2, 
some amazing characters who found themselves in need of hope and ended up right in the middle of the story God was telling. We're going to start in verse 8. It says this. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That's an understatement, by the way. They were terrified. People just, they see one angel, they fall over like they're dead. So they're terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I love Luke's version of the Christmas story. Anyone else? I love the shepherds. And I love this because 
this message, this proclamation, salvation is here. You know, it was the most important message of all time, but it was given to the wrong people. It was given to all the wrong people. Maybe you know, maybe you know some people and you're like, in my life, if I was going to tell somebody something important, it wouldn't be them. Anybody have like a person in mind? Like, that's not the right person to trust. Like, Cousin Eddie springs to mind. People like that, you're like, that's the wrong person at Christmas time, right? If God was going to speak to me, it would sooner be through a donkey than that guy. Okay? Now you're getting the picture. All the wrong people. God gave this message to all the wrong people. Jesus' arrival was heralded to all the wrong people. Shepherds, whose opinion was not even valid in court because they were so despised in that culture. They couldn't even bear witness. You know, the fact that Jesus, his annou- the announcement of his arrival came to people like the shepherds, people who were, you know, the downtrodden, those who have been waiting for too long. That's such good news for us, amen? You know what that speaks to me about? That means I'm in too. Because I'm not the right person, and so many times I'm aware of that, so painfully aware of that. You know, no matter how we feel about ourselves, the Christmas story starts with people who are ordinary people. Not the king in his palace, not the best and the brightest, but the ordinary people, and that's some good news today. So if you're here today, and I want you to know this as we get into the Christmas story, if you feel like you're the wrong person today, God doesn't want to speak to me, God can't use me, whatever it may be, let me tell you, the Bible The story that we've been given is bursting with examples of God working in the midst of the most unlikely people in the most unlikely ways for his glory. So turn to your neighbor this morning and just say, you're the right person. You're the right person. Yes, Jesus could have been born in a palace with all these expectations for how he would arrive. He could have come to the best and the brightest, but he didn't. Humbly he came. The light of the world, not of some, but of all mankind. Amen? Amen. There are two special people I want to draw attention to in this passage that are easily missed in the whole of the Christmas story. You know, I haven't yet seen a manger scene, a nativity set that includes Simeon and Anna. Seen a lot with the kings, right? The three, three kings, and the, and the shepherds are even, they made the cut, but not Simeon and Anna. They're talked about even less than the shepherds. Luke tells us Jesus' parents took him into the temple to dedicate him, and they met two obscure characters there, two important characters in the story of Jesus, Simeon and Anna. And Luke gives us this little hint in this passage as he introduces us to each of them. In verse 25, we're told that Simeon was a person who was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel. What do we celebrate the first week of Advent? That waiting, our hope is in him. I'm waiting on the story the way he's telling it. Simeon was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel, for this moment to arrive. Verse 38, we're told that Anna went to talk to Jesus about all those who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, the redemption, the promised redemption to arrive. She was one of them too. See, there were faithful ones in the land that trusted God and that what God said would happen would indeed come to pass. That the redemption, the consolation, the rescue, the salvation, that God had not forgotten his promises and they were going to live their lives according to it. They never stopped looking for it, waiting on it, hoping for it, expecting God to move in this way. For these incredible faithful people, 
who get just a moment of the spotlight, the story was never out of God's hands. They were never saying, okay, well, God seems to have forgotten, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and do it this way. Like most people. They said, if God said it, I'm going to see it. And I'm going to live my life according to it, period. Simeon and Anna. These are two faithful ones who chose to live according to the scriptures, according to God's story, according to the promises. They knew the prophets spoke of a savior to come. We read one of Isaiah's famous prophecies this morning. We're going to read another one here in chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. They lived their lives by these promises, waiting hoping, watching for his arrival because their lives were rooted in the story as God was telling it. They knew that he would come to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. Christmas reminds us that our redemption has come, that our redemption is here. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot ever overcome it. Amen? You know, there's no greater story that we can put our hope in and continue to hope in Because that story, it didn't end that day when they dedicated Jesus or when he was born in a manger or even on the cross. It continues on today. That story, the the final victory is yet to come. So we continue to live our lives according to it with that same expectation and hope. Amen? There's no greater story. But this Christmas, you know, our hearts are going to get pulled in a million different directions again. We're going to get pulled on by different stories and narratives because we were made for them. And specifically, we love those stories of redemption. We love those stories of restoration, reconciliation, when the family gets back together. We love it. And our hearts are prone to those things. And I just want to point out today that as we go into the Christmas season, you know, across our nation, across our world, people, we obviously don't share all the same conclusions, right? We don't come to the same answers. People have a million stories that they're embracing. But I believe that we all wrestle with the same questions. The deep inside of our hearts, we all have those same urgings and longings. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of all mankind. That God placed within each and every one of us a longing, a desire that is so deep that nothing on earth can ever fill it. Though people are pulled aside to a million narratives, trying, promising to fill that thing. Nothing can touch it but Jesus. C.S. Lewis reminds us like this, and I love this. He says, if I find within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. There are a million stories trying to pull at that desire deep in your heart, and you were made for those stories, but there's only one that satisfies. There's only one story that can tell you the full truth and lead you into true hope this Christmas. The reason the Christmas stories resonate with us is because God has placed that longing inside of every human heart for reconciliation, and ultimately it's a longing for reconciliation with him. To be able to come to the Father again, redeemed, restored, complete in him alone. And he will never stop inviting us back into the story of his unstoppable love, the story we celebrate at Christmas. Aren't you thankful for Christmas? 
You know, I just want to say this. Christmas doesn't stand alone as a detour, a nice little warm, fuzzy detour we take once a year. It's the answer to the longings in every one of our hearts. It is the key to the greatest story, the only one worth fully living into. So I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes, but the Bible is not the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I've heard that so many times. And that's not what the Bible is. There's nothing basic about it to begin with. (laughs) This story is everything. This story is everything. It's the true eternal story of God on a mission. And it finds its climax in the story of Christmas. It's given to us not as a set of instructions so that we can punch our heavenly ticket, but as a story for us to get lost in every single day. Amen? Told by the master storyteller, the only one who really knows our hearts. So I'm going to ask you again, whose story are you living into? What narratives are drawing your hearts? My prayer for us today is that this Christmas time, we would just get absolutely lost in the story of Christmas again. I mean, it's so hard to do because we have such short attention spans now. But I pray that God would help you to slow down, to allow the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart, to work with your imagination, to rediscover the wonder of the Christmas story, to be enraptured by Emmanuel, God with us once more. And I pray that every part of your life would be reimagined through the lens of this story. That you would fall in love with the bigger story God's been telling all along again. Instead of the million and one varieties we see in our world. So that you can find truly what your heart is longing for. You know, we celebrate this story. We celebrate Christmas. And I I celebrate that this is the true romantic happy ending story. Amen? That this story didn't stop with Jesus just being born, did it? He finished his work. Amen? He finished his work. I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 2, and then we're going to end our service with communion this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God with us. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, man, I'm thankful for that, therefore. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen to the completed story? You know, Jesus didn't just come and be born of a virgin and live a perfect life. He finished his mission. Amen? He finished his mission so that today you and I can have assurance that that redemption he came to give us is a forever redemption, that the ransom has been paid and we can be completely reconciled to the Father. All that we long for, that urge that people try and fill with everything else, it can be totally, perfectly healed in every heart this morning and for eternity. Amen? It's guaranteed in Christ. So this morning, we want to receive Holy Communion. We want to celebrate the finished work of Jesus for you and me. If you didn't grab any elements, you can run out to the lobby and grab them. Or if you're watching online, you can run to your kitchen. We want to celebrate that Jesus finished his work.
that this story has a very, very happy ending for you and I. Amen? And we want to look forward to that moment of ultimate reconciliation with him. After supper, the last supper he shared with his disciples, Jesus took some bread and he broke it and gave it to them and said to them, this is my body broken for you. This is my life that's poured out for you. This is my everything. I lay it down so that you could have that, that ache in your heart. You can have it healed today. The bread speaks to us that he went on to finish his mission and by his stripes, we're healed. Amen? That means you can have wholeness, completeness in Jesus today. Relationally, you can find peace and wholeness. Maybe physically you've got some needs. I want you to just bring those things to mind as we receive the bread today and just say, God, I'm living according to your story. These aren't my promises, they're yours. I'm hanging on to that today and I'm trusting you for wholeness. Let's receive the bread. After supper, Jesus also took the cup and shared it with them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You see, he came to change the game for us. Without the shedding of blood under the old covenant, there's no remission of sin. There's no way to remove the stain, the shame, the guilt that we all walk around with. But Jesus said it can be removed. I'll remember your sin no more because I'm shedding my blood to cover your sin. That's what we celebrate. The finished work of Christ on the cross for you and I is that we can be free from anything that would ever hold us back from being completely redeemed in his presence. Amen? Let's celebrate Jesus and remember the cup. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship today. We're going to sing again and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. I invite you, if you want prayer for anything, you can stick around and pray. I know we've got some cake and we've got our newcomer coffee. If you're new here, we want to spend some time and get to know you a bit better. But let's pray together and let's worship the one who finished the story. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your truth that just transcends anything that we have in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that's not my truth, but it's your truth that reigns. And Lord, we thank you that you finished your work. We celebrate what you began at Christmas and that you didn't leave it undone, but you finished it for us. So Father, we commit ourselves to rediscovering your story this Christmas, to falling in love again with the story as you are telling it, living lives according to the scriptures. We give you permission, God. Pull on our hearts. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds again that we would just fall so in love with your story again. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.